Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. You see the Dunning-Kruger effect. When someone has a belief and they're presented with data, factual data that goes against the belief, the result is, vast majority of the time, they double down on the belief. So that means that the belief is obfuscatory to direct experience. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. In this second installment of a four-part series, we discuss belief and what happens when direct experience conflicts with what you believe. Beliefs are quite problematic in our world. Think about how many arguments, misunderstandings, and even wars start because of them. It's often cited that more people have been killed in the name of God than anything else. But more specifically, it's people's belief in God that they kill for. Why? Direct experience doesn't happen in the mind any more than your picture of the beach is your vacation. The mind is powerful and can be powerfully flawed. Our perception is easily distorted by what we think we know but haven't actually experienced. In other words, what we believe. Is there a difference between a belief-based life and an experience-based life? Is one more useful than another? Keep listening to learn more. This episode is from a recent weekly member webcast. For more information about the many benefits of a clear and open membership and how to get the help you need in conversations just like this, please go to clearandopen.com. Thanks so much for listening. Now let's dive in. My personal orientation toward reality, therefore clear and opens, is that um, direct experience is the bomb. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That direct experience is where it's at. And that any and all beliefs are merely placeholders on the way to gain a direct experience of something. So there are many people in the world who have a subscription to a belief that human beings are essentially good, for example but don't necessarily experience that. And this is where it gets really tricky in the difference between direct experience and belief because belief is a seductive substitute for direct experience. And here's how that often works. Belief is here. It's a mental body thing. But what happens is you can believe in something, let's say the essential goodness of of human beings. You read that in a book or someone tells you, you know, human beings are fundamentally good. You go, oh, really? I walk through my day and I see lots of people who seem like bad people. Yeah, yeah, but they're essentially really good. Well, I don't experience that. Yeah, but if you believe that, then maybe you'll start to experience that. Okay, I'll try that on as a lens. Okay, so now that person has a pair of belief glasses. They're trying to look through the lens of belief and trying to see the good in people. They took off their belief of essential badness or evilness and put on a different lens. Yes. So now, if that person starts to experience the goodness of human beings, 
are they actually directly experiencing that? Or is the mental body belief distorting reality causing them to experience the reality through the belief lens? There's a difference, you see, between having mental body lenses that says, you know, like I could say, uh, look at everything around you through the lens of dollars, right? Everything, all the stuff on your shelves and the phone on your desk, all of that is in terms of dollars, right? Are you directly experiencing those things as money? No, it's not money, right? But you're looking through a lens and seeing it as having a, a monetary value. That's a mental body exercise. You're not experiencing it as it actually is. You see what I mean? So the question then becomes, what's the difference between direct experience and belief-based experience? And do they lead you to the same place or are they different? Right? Is there a difference between experiencing the essential nature of human beings as good without belief? Does that lead you to the same place as experiencing people as essentially good with belief? Do they lead you to the same place? I would offer they do not. Do not lead you to the same place. They're different places. Okay. Because one is the mind. One goes through the filter of the mind. And one is direct experience that um, circumvents the mind. The mind's not capable, in my opinion, of direct experience. It's mm-hmm. like the same way pictures are not the thing, you know. The, the picture of the hamburger is not going to nourish you. The mind just takes pictures, takes kind of snapshots, and then shows them to you, tries to convince you that it's direct experience. But it's not. Because you can't eat the picture of the hamburger and be full. I, I'm going to suggest that we could directly experience a hamburger unless you want to argue that, I, that we can't. So I wonder... If that's if if there is a, a an ability to directly experience something like what we're talking about, but not an easy way to get there, I don't know. You directly experience the hamburger when you eat it. Of course, that's what I mean. Yeah, but maybe what you're suggesting is it's difficult to eat the notion that uh, human beings are essentially good or evil, or what their essence is. Well, if you want to experience that, there's a, there's a, there are ways to do it. It just, you know, all of this starts with the, 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 the fundamental premise of, do you want to live a belief-based life or a direct experience-based life? Do you think there's a difference? Because I'm asserting that there is, but, you know, nobody has to believe that. Yeah, no, I see, I think I see what you're saying. And, and, um, I would prefer most of the time <laughs> to live an experience-based life. And I know that there are times when I don't because I know mm-hmm. that I deflect reality mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Nice to see the distinction you're making about it. Though. Yeah. And the argument I would make is it's very easy to see that beliefs are quite problematic in our world. Yeah, it is quite easy. See, see the Dunning-Kruger effect. When someone has a belief and they're presented with data factual data that goes against the belief, the result is the majority of the time, vast majority of the time, they double down on the belief, right? So that means that the belief in the vast majority of cases 
is obfuscatory to direct experience. Mm-hmm. Meister Eckhart actually said that the belief in God prevents your experience of it. About five or six hundred years ago, it's a fascinating statement. You and I talked about this a few years back. Didn't I you? remember, yeah. Uh, uh, if I'm being careful, and uh, I usually I usually am, you'll never hear me say the phrase "I believe." Dot dot dot. I don't say it mm-hmm. because I don't believe in belief. Okay. I don't I don't see its usefulness. Right. It's it's a test. It's when when you when you have a belief of something, you're testing something out. But there's a there's a crossroads that happens when you take on an idea as a belief. You either take on the idea as the belief of like the mental body glasses. Okay, I'm going to look at the world this way because I've decided to believe that, and and that's your end point. That's how most people relate to belief, or the to me the healthy way of relating to belief is i'm going to test this belief out i'm going to take this on i think this is true is there a way i can get a direct experience of it hmm. and we operate this way all the time right if i tell you there's this great pizza place in concord massachusetts where i grew up the example i always use when we talk about belief right i don't want you to believe in it i want you to go there and experience it for yourself right when someone tells you about a great restaurant, you don't take that on as a belief, as like a final endpoint. Okay, I believe you. Done. It's the best pizza place. Now I don't have to go there, right? That's not how we relate to it. We go, oh, okay. I'm taking in that belief as a temporary placeholder for direct experience. And then you go there and then you find out whether or not it is what you thought. We do this all the time. And another way of saying it is a belief is a kind of map, like all things the mental body does. It's always a map. So when I tell you there's this great pizza place and you, have, you must try one of their strombolis, oh, I get hungry just thinking about it. <laughs> I still remember their phone number. That's a map, right? And you can follow that map to the direct experience of that stromboli. Highly recommend mushrooms in this tromboli. Okay. I would do that. Yeah. So it's a map. And then you give up the map when you experience the territory. It's just like, you know, if you were going to drive across country to, you know, San Francisco or something, you'd have a map and you'd be following the map and you'd be following the map and you'd be following the map. But when you arrived at San Francisco, you'd put down the map to experience San Francisco. But the way most people relate to belief is they stay with the belief because they're invested in the belief. They really want the belief to be true. Okay, cool. You want the belief to be true, great. But you're never going to find out unless you put it down. Cool. And then, then they never realize that it's a belief. They take it as fact. Yeah. Yeah, it's really tricky. Do you see how slight a distinction is? It's like the belief... Because it's, it's very tricky because... Often you need to, in order to conduct the experiment, right, to to experience the New London-style pizza of Concord, Massachusetts, you need some amount of belief in its essential goodness, right? You have to believe. No, really, it's worth it. Oh, it's a three-hour drive. Oh, I'm telling you, it's worth it, right? Now there's a belief. You've got a belief. It's, you know, it would be better if we just did away with the word belief and we just called it hypothesis, right? Because that's 
what it is. What would you, you say? A hypothesis, a scientific oh. hypothesis. That's a, you know, a, an assertion that is not yet proven to be true or not. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the experiment is about, is about reality, right? So the hypothesis in science, it's supposed to be, it's a scientific method. The hypothesis is we think this is true. We don't have any data. And there's an acknowledgement that this is a mental body exercise. This is what we think to be true. We combine this and that, we think this is going to happen. You know, we think if we reduce uh, carbon dioxide, it'll cool the planet off and then hurricanes will be less intense, you know, whatever it is. That's, that's, that's the hypothesis. But there's an acknowledgement that this is a mental body unproven idea. And then in the experiment, you move from map to territory. Okay, what experiment can we create that will demonstrate whether this hypothesis is true or not? This is the scientific method. Or falsify it. Or falsify it, right. Unfortunately, we learn the scientific method in a context in school that has no bearing on our day-to-day lives, right? We, you burn mothballs and you learn about sublimation and, you know, the, the, your science teachers never say, so let's talk about how to use the scientific method in your daily life, mm. right? What assumptions are you making right now that you're playing out? Like I had this assumption that I played out for about four years in high school that there was this really pretty girl that if I just kind of hung around her enough, despite the fact that she was dating the captain of the wrestling team for almost the whole four years, that if I just hung around her enough and kind of intervened here and there, that eventually I would get her. Not a hypothesis that turned out to be true. In fact, at one point it got me a black eye. (laughs) Right? Now, if someone had just pulled me aside... If a teacher just said, so you, you seem to be running this hypothesis that if you just like, you know, flirt with this girl and, you know, tiptoe around her boyfriend and do this and that, that, that somehow this is going to result in some outcome that you want. How's that working for you so far? How, what's the data showing? <laughs> Where was some adult showing me that this was not working? There were probably three other girls in my life who wanted to be with me and the whole time I was just obsessed with this one. And I learned some lessons, certainly. What was I talking about? (laughs) Thank you. I I really appreciate this discussion. I don't want to monopolize our time, but I appreciate getting some clarity on some of those concepts that you Mm -hmm. talked about on Thursday that I, I just didn't feel like I had a good understanding of. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Be sure to visit clearandopen.com for the latest tools, articles, and free resources to help you on your journey. Thanks for listening and bye for now.